Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Today, guys, we're continuing on the series of the year of the Bible. Let me encourage you, every month we come out with a new installment. You go to the Bible app, then you, go, you type in year of the Bible, and we are installment number seven of 12. So we're seven months. We're over halfway through the journey through the Scriptures. And I want to remind you today of why we began this. Though we're halfway through, we began the journey back in March so that we can see the heart of God within the Scriptures, within the whole of Scriptures. Me, I've I've known God since I was five, six years old. I've grown up in the church. I've, I've done different types of ministry in different churches. And, and what I've found is that different, different churches, they, they tend to highlight certain things within the whole of Scripture and make that one thing the main thing. And sometimes they can miss the big thing, which is that God in his mercy and his love had a plan to send his son to die for mankind. But through his death and resurrection in our faith, he then has given us the authority and the power and the keys of the kingdom to on this earth today to grow the kingdom through our lives. And we forget about the overall plan and we stop short of, of the overall plan and focus on something that's important, but it's not the most important. Everybody say most important. This is, this is, this is a big deal. So we began this, this journey for that reason, also we began the journey so that as we read the context of the scriptures, that God could deconstruct any wrong beliefs that we may have about God, about his heart, about the purpose of church, about the purpose of, of the word of God, about the, uh, he could deconstruct wrong ideas that we would have about the purpose of humanity and that we would focus our perspective which is so important, focus our perspective and look past in, in, our, in our journey with God, the one or two trees that we've been climbing for years and camping on and, and living out of that tree house, that we could focus our perspective and see the beauty of the full forest of God's story, of his intention, of his heart, of his purpose for all of mankind. We also wanted to take a year and anchor ourselves to the truth of God's word. Because I, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but we're living in a day and an age where there is an active strategy of the enemy to bring confusion to truth. Amen? It's an active strategy. It is, it, is a, it is a big deal. You need to be aware of it and you need to know. That's one of the things I feel like God's called me to do is to always bring an awareness to the reality. We live in a world where the enemy has a strategy and he's not going to bring stuff that's obvious. He's going to slowly work it into our lives. But we live in a day of an, that there's an active strategy of the enemy to bring confusion to the very foundation of human existence. And this confusion is being propagated, and it's being propagated first off by a world that doesn't know Jesus. I don't blame them. They are, they're not our enemy. They are, they are victims of the enemy, though. They are victims of our enemy, Satan. And so they are just 
proclamating what the enemy is using them as a puppet to do so. So yes, that is a big deal. Yes, that is concerning. But the biggest concern is that the confusion of truth, the deception and the seduction away from God's word has made its way into the church. That's a problem, amen? It's made its way, we can go a little deeper into Christian homes. It's made its way into the lives and the parenting style of Christian parents. The deception, the confusion, the seduction of the world has made its way into the lives of Christian teenagers and young adults who even grew up in the church. And the only solution, the only way that there can be truth and that, that the lies can be laid bare is through us understanding the truth of the Bible in cooperation with the Holy Spirit in submission to the Father as we are pledging our loyalty and faith to Jesus Christ. It is in those moments that truth can come and the lies can be laid bare and the scales can fall off our eyes. But here's the reality. The concern of my heart is that this seduction has made its way into Christian lives. We see it in our church. We see it in our school. It's real. It's the real deal. And I want you to hear my heart today. My number one focus as a pastor, according to the Bible, is to be a servant of God, to equip, to strengthen, and to encourage God's people. Not with me, not with my personality, not with my lame dad jokes that I tell every once in a while, but only with the word of God and the intention of God's word to his people, which are you. You're kind of a big deal to God. I hope you know that. And my role is not to impose my will or my vision or my desire. My, my, my job is to be obedient to the word of God and speak it and teach it as it is written. That's all I got, friends. That's it. And, and anything else, you don't want it. But that's, that's my desire. The most significant way of, of assisting and equipping you is by the preaching and teaching of the truth of God's word to those who will listen. It's not always easy to listen to. I'm not always easy to listen to. I'm not always easy to be around. Just ask my family. It's just, it's just the reality of it. But that's my job. And so, but also part of my, my job and what God has called me to do is to, dis, is to is while I'm preaching and teaching, is also to discern, now listen to this, and this is your job too, is to discern the time and the season in which we as the people of God find ourselves in. And with Scripture, as we discern the time and the seasons, as we discern what is being, what's being, um, preach to us that isn't truth. As we discern the strategies of the enemy, the indoctrination of the enemy to our families and to our own lives, as we discern that, we, to go, we are to go to Scripture. And we're to use Scripture to counteract the lies that are infiltrating our Christian families. Amen? You guys with me today? You see, the strategy of the enemy is to play the long game. It's the long game. 
to deceive, yes, all of humanity, but I believe one of the enemy's main goals, and I've shared this with you already, is to deceive believers whose only weapon and anchor is the truth of God's word. So if he can deceive us, he renders us useless. And it's all around this idea of truth. Believers, now just, just go with me for a second. This, this, I promise you this has something to do with the, the text today that we're reading. Believers will never tear down demonic strongholds if they have been deceived and convinced there is not a stronghold. Believers will never expose a lie to their loved ones or children if they are deceived and believe that they're not actually supposed to speak the truth to them because it may offend them. Believers will never live holy lives if they've been convinced holiness doesn't really matter to God. Believers will never share the gospel if they believe doing so is not loving and is not kind. Believers won't share the gospel if they first filter the gospel through, yes, but their background would make them not like me or feel threatened if I share the gospel, so therefore I won't. What we've just done is elevated man over God. Believers will never speak the truth that sets people free if they are convinced that God's truth, the truth of God's word, should be censored for those who were lost and shackled by sin. Believers and churches will never be a light, never be a city on a hill for the lost world to be attracted to, for the lost world to find, to find direction and a guiding light through our lives and who we are. It, it'll never happen, we'll never shine if our lights are compromised and are dim and can no longer be seen from the darkness of the world. And so the enemy knowing that, that the, the, the church's purpose, everybody say purpose. So important we understand purpose is to be proclaimers and the mouthpiece of God's truth, hope, repentance, and forgiveness. And the enemy's long game is, again, to render believers useless. And let me tell you something. It's not done all at once. It's done in stages. It's a progression. It's a progression. It's like when, when, when there's a big task in front of you, you go, it's okay, baby steps. How the enemy does this and deceives us in our families and our lives and has made his way into the church when now we have churches who, who actually say we are churches of, and we are people of the Bible and they preach the opposite of what is actually in the Bible. The reason why this happened wasn't because one day they woke up and said, let's do this. It was because it was a long game. It was a progression. It was an erosion of what God had originally called them to do. So this long game is to render believers useless. It's the frog in the kettle effect. And this is done how this is worked into our lives, into our families. I want you to hear me today how this is done is through the enemy using the systems of the world. 
like educational systems, media, social movements, and usually the first stage of deception is for the purpose of this. Now catch me, stage one is for the purpose of removing the very concept of truth. That actually truth is kind of a moving target. And at first, this first stage, step one, low heat on the kettle with the frog in it. Step one is this idea that, you know, it's okay. We can all have our own truth. This is a very tolerant part of stage one. I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. We're humanity. Come on humanity, can we all just get along? Can we all just be friends? And so it's very loving. Peace, love, and rock and roll. It seems very tolerant. And the majority would say, hey, you have your truth. I have my truth. Everyone's entitled to their own truth. But let's just be friends. It's okay. That's stage one. Let's just love each other. But the purpose of stage one is to lower the need for absolute truth. The purpose of low heat on the kettle with a frog in it is to question, is there really a truth because of your truth and your truth, my truth and my truth, and we, you know what really matters is just love. Then we begin to question truth. And so what happens is we begin to erode the foundation of truth and we begin to be open to doing away with the very concept of truth itself. And in the climate of stage one, where people respect our truth as Christians, see, we're honored, it's, it's okay, they respect our truth, we're able to meet, we can speak the truth here. And that's stage one. It doesn't really feel like we need to hold to the truth because it's okay. Our truth isn't threatened. Our truth is our truth. Their truth is their truth. It's okay. And we don't feel like we need to proclaim the truth. So what happens in the churches is that the message of the churches become not about truth, but about our feelings. And they're called felt needs, felt need sermons. Nothing wrong with them every once in a while, but you can't make disciples off of how do you feel? Well, let me, let me take these two scriptures out of context and then tell you everything's going to be all right. During this season, churches don't feel the need to hold to the Bible, to remind the people of God the Word of God is the truth. Don't stray from it. Don't walk from it. Don't consider anything else. It's, it's, there's something begins to happen. The churches stop proclaiming the whole counsel of God's word. They stop promoting holiness and start focusing on happiness. And the pastors and the teachers that are in this kettle, that are in this pot, don't present the word of God as a two-edged sword that divides truth from lies. They don't present the word of God to show the difference between the mind of the flesh and the mind of Christ. And what can end up happening during stage one is that 
The Christianity that is propagated doesn't define and, and, and distinguish the truth of God's word from lies. It all becomes, can't we all just get along? And this type of Christianity, I want you to hear me for a second, creates converts labeled as Christians, but it doesn't make disciples who shine brightly and who will change the world. But stage one has a purpose. And the purpose of stage one is to move us to stage two. Then in stage two, after the concept of truth is deconstructed and right and wrong are not black and white, but are now gray. And now Christians don't have a clear black and white biblical view. We have a gray biblical view. Biblical topics like sex before marriage, abortion, marriage, the construct of a home, homosexuality, lying, gossiping, cheating, getting drunk, getting high, view of gender and family are no longer preached or taught about because the concept of truth has been eroded. But what is taught is that you need to start loving yourself more. What is taught, you need to start loving, just, hey, listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. They even opened the service playing, listen to your heart. Did you like the air guitar? That was nice. <laughs> so th this, is, this is the kind of Christianity that's created during this season, during this time. They, op they open the service with a secular song that's written by, by, by someone who is totally immoral, totally in sin. And they're like, hey, listen to this. Come and look. Come and see. We're just like everybody else. You're thinking, watch it, Jason. I go to that church the second and third Sunday of every month. I like listen to your heart. What are you talking about? I'm not being legalistic. I'm just, I'm, I'm painting a picture for a moment. So the church that was destined by God to be the one that speaks the truth and lays down the line for believers to follow so that we can be powerful men and women of God who raise the, raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out demons and transform nations, that church no longer has a line. They don't have a line anymore. They have a suggestion. And so stage one is to get us to stage two. After the concept of truth is deconstructed, there is, now there is no clear black or white biblical view. And so... As I said, what is preached is you got to love yourself more. But we've forgotten. The Bible teaches you actually need to stop loving yourself and start denying yourself. But when stage two is set and believers have drifted off the, into the gray abyss of nothingness, and those who were called to carry the truth and the light no longer know the truth. 
Stage three is set. And so truth is deconstructed. And once believers are no longer threats because we live in the gray, our lives look like everybody else, the enemy moves to stage three, where he uses those with power, authority, influence, position. Since now there is no defined truth, and since we have deconstructed that there can be no truth, it is within this moment that when there is no pushback from the church, now the enemy determines and establishes what truth is because he isn't challenged anymore from a church that's standing on the word of God. And so now the enemy writes the narrative of what truth is, writes the narrative of what love is, writes the narrative of what, how, how Christians should be and should not be, writes the narrative of how churches should view certain things. And the converts that are not equipped by the word of God are deceived. And this is the sad part of stage three. The converts who actually go to churches, actually join the narrative and now begin propagating the lies that have been narrated by the enemy and now they call it truth. This is the reality of the world we live in. You guys following me today? And what I've just laid out to you is from our text today. And we've come to the book of Psalms, which is my favorite book. One of my favorite books. I've read it as my own prayers. I've found myself in them. I have wept over them. I have declared the promises in them. I cut my teeth at 17 on the Psalms. There's something about David's life and the writers of the, the other Psalms that I thought, this is me. And we come to the book of Psalms. And David opens the book that we're going to read today. And he lays out a contrast of a life whose delight is in the truth of God's word versus a life that is deceived by a lie wrapped in a pretty bow and called truth. David gets right to the issue of what keeps believers from God's blessing. But he also lays out to explain the horrific consequences of compromise in a believer's life. And the idea of compromise, before I read this, I want you to hear me today, is the idea of erosion. Think back of a time when you found yourself in a very difficult time that actually you were in sin and you realized, I just didn't wake up and decide to be right here. It was an erosion into that position. And so the idea of compromise, meaning it is a slow, one compromise leads to another compromise. It's a little at a time. It's, here, here's, the, here's the crazy thing about compromise. It's not seen at first. Even in doctrines of Scripture, it's, it's hard to put your finger on it at first. 
Someone starts teaching something, put emphasis on something, you're like, oh, yeah, no, that's good. That's a good thing. But in our own personal lives, it's not seen at first. It's, it's not on display. You can't see it explicitly in, in our lives. And most of the time it begins as a secret. But over time, our decisions of compromise become our public image and identity. It is a slow erosion. And here in the opening of the book, David is comparing two groups of people, the godly and the ungodly. And the godly are not those who are never tempted. The godly are not those who are perfect. The godly are not those who, who are like, oh, yes, you know, every day of my life I'm just absolutely centered and walking. I don't have any temptations and I'm better than Jesus. Like, no. The godly here, they're in the real world. They're walking in, 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 in the real, real life. They're dealing with temptation. But the godly, I want you to hear me today, the godly here are those who desire whose heart is turned to walk with God and desire God's will and desire God's word. Those are the godly. Now, by the grace of God, we are covered by Jesus. We are saved. We are made righteous. But the reality is there is a partnership of us that our salvation is not based on us, but our obedience is based on the act of our will. And so these are the godly who have, by the act of their will, God, I want to please you with my life. And now when we see the ungodly here, they're not those who are, I mean, when we think the ungodly, we think of the murderers, we think of the worst of the worst, we think of the war crime criminals, that's who we think of. This, this is not what he's talking about here. The ungodly are those who desire to walk away from God's will and walk away from God's word. These are the two contrasts. And David starts this psalm, beautiful psalm. He says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed is that man. And I want you to catch this real quick. David has just laid out the process of spiritual erosion. And when you see this, it is a, it moves towards intensity. At every compromise, at every moment, finally the destination is, it is one who sits in the seat, counted among one of the scoffers. Now they are no longer looking to see or tempted or to walk in the ways of the world. They're actually now sitting in the seat of position, proclamating the ways of the world. It is a progression First, you're walking. I want you to catch this. The first one is, blessed is the man who walks or does not walk. This is about the casual moving along. This is, this is kind of a, a chilling out. Like we're just going to walk for a bit. But along the way, you open your heart and your mind to another counsel. You start to listen. You start to go, oh, maybe they're right. You start to think, maybe, maybe I need some of their acceptance. You start to think, maybe their truth is maybe truth. Let me explore this a little bit. So you begin to open your mind to the counsel of someone else. Then, as you're walking, you start to make a decision to go that direction. 
You, you've now set the course of your walk towards the direction. And you begin to imitate the way of the wicked. It's not your identity yet. It's not your identity, but you're imitating. You're tasting and seeing. You're exploring. You're, you're, you're looking just a little bit. You're kind of engaging in, then you're pulling out, but you're just walking. David is writing us and telling us that those who determine not to do that, not to walk to hear the counsel or to reject the counsel or not to, to actually embrace the counsel of another truth, those are the ones who are going to reap tremendous blessing in your life and in your family. Then David describes the next progression. Okay, you've walked in that direction. You've walked away from God, from God's will. You actually still call yourself a Christian. You've now, you're walking, just, you, you, you kind of want to explore something else a little bit. You want to do something for yourself. And you've considered the way of the wicked You've considered some of the counsel. Listen, I'll tell you what. You, you've considered some of the, the, some of the compelling arguments of another truth. You've maybe even imagined in your mind what it would be like to actually believe that and act on that. And as you receive the counsel, as you receive the information, as you Google some things regarding your walk towards that direction, which is not God's will. It's the way of the wicked. That's, that's how it begins. But now the progression isn't you're just walking, but now look at the next. Let, 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 me see what, let, let me show you what happens next. Now you find yourself standing. So you're walking, but now you're standing. This is, I'm going to engage here a little bit. I'm going to. I, I, I'm going to dip my toe in it and experience it. And you begin to stand in the way of the truth that's the false truth that's being proclamated by the world. So you're standing now. And you're casually thinking about, about it. You're, you're, you've listened to it, but now you're standing in it and you're standing with it. It's your way. Now, you're not going to tell other people this is the way, but you're standing in it. You're actively engaged in the ways of wickedness. Now, remember, this is an erosion. Most people think you can do this and come out. Then they think, well, that's okay. I can participate in sin. I can do that, and then I can still get out. But that's not the way it works. Remember, the enemy plays the long game. Everybody say long game. I want you to think back to a moment that you began to walk. Every one of us is tempted. Every one of us begins to go down that road at some point in our lives. I want you to, and then I, I want you to think about that. I also want you to think about when you decided to go the next place. And you feel like I've kept these things at bay for maybe Six months, maybe a year, maybe five years, maybe seven years. I've kept that relationship just, just right on the edge. I get that my needs met emotionally by them at work, but, it's, but I've, I just keep it out there. It's okay, it's okay. You think you're not eroding, but friend, you are. The enemy's playing the long game. 
This is your standing. This means you're in it. Then, then David describes stage two. This is the next progression of erosion for the godly who were walking and exploring the way of the wicked. Now you're standing and you're exploring the way of the sinners. But now, you're sitting in the seat of the scoffers. What a scoffer is, is many, many times this, this could be attached to what an apostate is. An apostate is this idea that, um, and we all, we all know them, they were followers of Jesus. They came to church. They, uh, they said, I love Jesus. But then all of a sudden, you see them walking, standing, and now all of a sudden, they've switched teams. Like, yeah, I thought we were on the same team that we were following Jesus. Nope, they've switched teams. They got a different jersey on. You're thinking, what? I, wait a minute. In other words, they have become a, an apostate. And now they are proclamating the opposite of what Jesus proclamates in Scripture. This is the moment that you switch teams. You might even say, I'm with Jesus, but your heart is seated with the scoffers. And now you're just not influenced by the counsel of the wicked. Now you're just not standing and participating with compromise and erosion. Now you are proclaiming the teaching of your new found lie that you call truth. And David writes, listen, godly, your life will be blessed over and over and over again if you choose not even to start. Then he goes on to write and tell us of the blessing. I want you to think about for a moment, when I, think about your family. One of the reasons why I believe a lot of Christian families aren't walking in the blessing of God they aren't, they, they aren't walking in the provision of God is because they allowed some walking and some standing in their home. Just a little bit. And in order for you to walk in God's blessing, you have to position yourself in line to receive it. So I... I, I my mentor, Dr. Russ Fraze, those of you who know him, used to say this, you got to get under the spout where the blessing comes out, right? There's a flow of God's blessing to your family. There's a flow of it. There's a flow of God's blessing to your life. It's always there. God is a God of blessing. God is always wanting to bless you. God has always wanted to, to move in your life. God is always, that's what he does. That's who he is. And so that blessing is, is flowing. But if I step out here, I'm not experiencing that, am I? So you have to come into alignment by the grace of God and say, I'm going to position myself under the spout in which God's blessing comes out. And that's called obedience and the desire to follow God, to follow his word, and to do his will with your life. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but it does mean it's the, it's the intention and position of your heart. 
Now, those of you who have, who have fallen to this, you've seen this happen, you've, you've let your children walk, you've, you've let your children stand, and, and, you, and you believe, listen, I've seen it, you believe the lie, oh, they'll figure it out. Well, the problem is you were, you were the parent in their life to tell them, to show them and eat, and how to figure it out. And so some people don't, and the result is, 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 the, is them sitting. The reality is some parents do, and they're faithful, and they pray, and they still find their children sitting. But the reality is this. Our responsibility is before God is to be the ones who say, uh-uh, no, we're not having this, we're not doing this, and we can stand before God. The reality is God has given each child and person a free will. And let me just speak to you parents for a moment who might be under condemnation that you think, yes, oh, I should have done this, I should have did this, I should. Listen, listen, God was a perfect parent. He was perfect in relationship. He was perfect in truth. He was perfect. He'd set the right boundaries, the right borders in the Garden of Eden. Eat this, don't eat this. He set it all. And his kids still rebelled from him. But he was God, and he spoke the truth. That's what we as parents are called to do, to speak the truth in love and kindness. But I want to read to you as we close this. That the one who is blessed by God does not walk, does not stand, does not sit. His delight Everybody say delight. His delight is in the law. What is the law? The word of God. If you, if you want to get in the position where God's blessing comes out, delight yourself in the word of God. Your delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it. He thinks about it. This is about the truth of God, that you make decisions from God's truth. You make decisions from, from God's word. You make decisions from the spirit that is in you as a follower of Jesus. God reminds you of, oh, I read this the other day. And, oh, this, is, this brought back, it was brought back to my memory. Jesus said that the spirit was given to his disciples to bring to remembrance what he said to them so they can give an answer. Same way with the word of God. That spirit is in you, but, your, but how you get under it is you read it, you consume it, it becomes a part of you. And then in, the, in a moment that you need clarity, scripture comes in and the Holy Spirit shows you the truth of God's word. When you're in a conflict and now you think, oh God, how do I handle this? How do I protect my heart? How do I offer forgiveness? How do I actually though still stand my ground? How do I, then all of a sudden, the, the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates and thinks about it, he has an answer. And it's by the word of God. But I want to remind you of this. I want to remind you of this and I want to leave you with this right here. The one who does not walk, who does not stand, who does not sit, who chooses. He, verse 3, is like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. And all he does prospers. Wow. Wow. Put these two things in your shopping cart and figure out which one you're going to check out with. I'll take this one. 
I'll take to be a man and for you to, for you to be a man or a woman of God that is like a tree planted by streams of water. Yields fruit in season. Gives out a blessing. Walks into a room as you are a peaceful, powerful presence of the goodness and the power of God. That leaf of your life that focuses on meditating on the word of God, your leaf doesn't wither. When the sun is hot and people are withering, you're standing strong. You are standing strong by the streams and living water that flow from your relationship with Christ in the word of God. It is you that stands strong and all that he does, she does prospers. That's the blessing. You can be under that spout or you can come over here and do your own thing. I choose this spout. If you want a life full of purpose and joy and vigor, if you want, want to weather the storms of life, if you want to face difficulties and, and everything be falling apart, if you want generations to eat from the fruit of your life, if you want in the midst of hot days and difficulties and persecution and, and whatever, lawsuits and whatever it may, may be, if you want to not wither when most will wither, delight in the truth of God's word. Because you eat and you drink from the streams of water. And you eat and you drink from God's word and you desire Please the Father with your life. That's the one who will be blessed. Scripture goes on to say, but for the wicked, not so. Not so. See, it's, it's tempting to look at the wicked and say, look, look, wow, well, they're prospering and look what they're doing. They look like they got joy. They look like, man, they're living the life and man, they're accepted by that group. And man, I, I, it's tempting to look to that and go, oh, maybe, just, maybe I just walk over there just a little bit. But David lays out, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're missing it. Not so, that blessing, not so with the wicked. He isn't like a tree. He isn't fruitful and beneficial. His leaves wither. He does not prosper. Yeah, it looks like he will not be lasting. He will not prosper. And the heart of David's word today. He writes, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. When you read this, you go, wow, I don't. What does that mean? Why are they standing? What, what he means is this. This is good. What he means is this. When we stand before God, it's not going to be, well, you earned your way here. It's not going to be, oh, you did, you did what was right, therefore. It's not going to be your salvation, you earned your salvation. That's not what this is about. The, the wicked will not stand. This is the posture of confidence before God on judgment day. And that God's gonna look at you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ and he is gonna say, hey, you are here because of the merit of Jesus Christ, not of your own merit. He's gonna say, come on in. Well done and faithful servant. 
by your faith in Jesus Christ and grace alone of God, you're going to stand. No fear, you're going to stand in judgment. And you're going to lock eyes with your father. And it's going to be finally we're together. But not so for the wicked. They're going to, but bow, they're going to be low, and they're not going to stand in the congregation of the righteous, because the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked will perish. This is the contrast, friends, and I want to encourage you today. If you find yourself in any of those positions, walking, standing, sitting, it's time that you can repent. And what repenting means, you just change the way you think. And you say, I want to get under the spout where God, your blessing is going to come out. And you say, Lord, I'm sorry. And I ask you to cleanse my mind and cleanse my spirit and cleanse my heart. For I want to be like a tree that's planted. That's the invitation from God. And that is the truth that you and I carry for our children, for our families, for our personal lives. Whether you're a kid, you're a teenager, you're a young adult, whether you're single, whether you're married, this promise is yours. Those who delight in the ways and the will of God will find themselves anchored and rooted in a way that's going to have a lasting effect. You, your life will be blessed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you that you have spoken to us, that you have invited us into your goodness and your mercy. Lord, today I pray that those who are here today that recognize that they are walking in the way of the wicked. They are standing maybe in the, in, the, in, the, in, in the place with sinners or even today that they are sitting. They have begun to proclamate a false truth and lies that are contrary to the word of God. Lord, today you are merciful. You are kind. You respond to all those who call out to you. And Lord, today in the name of Jesus, we here in this room make a decision that we will anchor our lives to the word. That we today, we repent of all of those things, God, that we have been seduced, indoctrinated, and we have been led astray. Today, God, I pray that you would cleanse our minds in the name of Jesus. That today, that through your grace, we make a decision to get underneath your protection and your blessing as we delight continually in the law of the Lord and fix our eyes on you and live our lives in expectation of everything you have for us. We receive it today. We thank you for your kindness and your love. May we leave here today confident and stand strong and tall that we are people of the book and we will not move and we will not bow and we will be people with the spirit of Christ that stands in love but speaks clarity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's stand to our feet today. Friends, I love you. I'm honored to be able to teach the word to you. I would just encourage you to grow in it.
Let it be a part of your life. Reminder, don't forget, you can stop by and get your Christmas cantata um, information. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a blessing to you and your family's life. Also, next week is our sign-ups for small groups. And so, also, in just a moment, if you have any prayer requests and you would like for us to pray with you, we'd be honored to do so up here at the front after service. Let's pray. If you can, lift your hands to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would bless your people, strengthen them. Lord, today may we leave here with a fresh passion to root our lives to your word. May we leave here understanding your spirit dwells in us. It pulses through our veins. It gives us the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That spirit lives in us. May we walk with authority and power. May you prosper us. May our leaves, God, continue to grow and not wither. May you restore things in our lives, our marriages, our families, our finances, because we have decided today, I'm going to get under the spout in which your blessing comes out. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. God bless.